Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Today, we have the one, the only, Brandon Turner on the show, because well, I want to ask him, well, how did you get started in the beginning, right? Because he didn't have a beard in the beginning. I don't know if you knew that. He wasn't actually born with a beard. No, he developed it over time. Well, I want to know how he developed not the beard, but the portfolio over time because he did get started in small real estate and then recently over the last two and a half years blew it out. So he's seen it all. And we want to kind of know what he's done in the beginning and what shifted with him and a couple other fun things that you may not know about. We're going to get that in just a second. Just a reminder that we have Dealmaker Bootcamp in January, end of January 20, 20, end of January 27, I think, in Orlando. It's called Dealmaker Bootcamp at Dealmaker Bootcamp Event. Dot com, And it's the event, we've done it four or five times where we simulate your first deal, right? So if you haven't done your first deal yet, this will be one outstanding event to basically go through the entire mechanism, the, the entire way all the way through to a deal. And we're going to do that dealmakerbootcampevent.com in Orlando. I also want to give a shout out to Mike Van Atta on LinkedIn. He said on LinkedIn, I recently read your book and found it very useful and inspirational. That is the yellow book called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. He says, while I'm still getting my head around some of the specifics, I actually analyzed my first deal and had a great call with a broker the other day. That is fantastic. So let us hear from you on social. Uh, the handle is Blanc on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn as well. And uh, give us a shout out on iTunes as well. And ask any questions and we might answer it on the, on the show as well. Uh, always highlighting people who have done their first deal. Uh, this one this week is Scott Dilley. He closed on an 84 unit, in a, which is a 14 unit deal in Tucson, Arizona for 7.7. There's two of them, 84 and a 14 unit, 7.7 and 1.1. And he was working with mentor Matt Bronner. So congratulations, Scott, in doing not only one, but two deals as well. And as always, if you value mentorship, we would love to have a conversation with you. If you value mentorship and you have the ability to invest in yourself in that way, there's no better way to accelerate your results and avoid the bigger mistakes than working with a full-time syndicator. And Matt, as, as all of our mentors are full-time uh, syndicators, there's no part-time syndicators. And Matt owns many hundreds of units. It's uh, amazing to be able to work with someone like that. So check us out at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call with us to see if that is right for you. So with that, let's bring up our co-host, Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on today? What's going on, Michael? So uh, one of the things that's probably I'm going to guess is going to come up on this show is something about platforms and branding and building a platform in order to raise capital. So I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on that and why it might be important to do so. Yeah, it's it, it's super important to do so. But I mean, I, I didn't realize it until like three years ago, you know, when we started to raise money through Nighthawk and we did a we were raising under a million dollars and we really struggled, which is amazing because we just raised $13 million in three days. So we barely could raise the three quarter million dollars of and I was floored. I thought I had a platform. I thought I had people on my email list and I did, but I wasn't doing it in the right way. And so today, today with a show on Brandon, we're going to talk about kind of building the platform. And of course, he's the the face of of bigger pockets, and it doesn't really make for a really great blueprint for the average person. But we talk about what he would do if he started from scratch. So that is a really interesting conversation. That I'm going to ask him what he would do starting from scratch. Uh, so platform is is absolutely key if you're trying to scale. So if you're if you're doing your, if you haven't done your first deal yet, it's not really as relevant. But maybe you have, or maybe you just want to scale out of the gate. And for that, you got you have to think of a platform. You have to think about how do you attract people? 
How do you build trust with people, right? And so we did this with with Nighthawk now two and a half years ago, and we're still getting better at it, right? I mean, like we didn't even have our own Instagram account until recently, right? And so we are still, even though we've raised $13 million, we're probably doing really well, there is still opportunity for us to build a platform. I mean, you've seen the platform at work, right? The last raise we did was was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been basically kind of the beginning of this company, I've seen it grow and evolve. And it's really like, if you think about, do you want to have coffee with, you know, hundreds of people at a Starbucks and try to raise money that way? That's like old school way of raising money. Or, or do you want to create trust with people through adding value to their lives through the internet? And it just, it's a much more efficient way to be able to re- raise large amounts of money and control your destiny when it comes to syndication. So the, the, I can't believe that we're already, you know, we're raising easily 13 million, uh, almost 14 million for the last deal came in a couple of days through this. So it's really incredible how powerful this tool is and uh, highly recommend it. You know, our mission is financial freedom with real estate, and you can do it, of course, by being the active entrepreneur, but you can also do it by being the passive uh, investor. And this is why Nighthawk really serves this mission. Uh, We talk about, you know, raising capital, but really we want to reach more people. Just makes no sense for you to invest in the stock market. So what we want to do is reach more people who invest in the stock market and educate them about this wonderful class of multifamily syndications, because we found if we can do that, if we can educate you watching and listening to this, you get a more comfort zone, you're more willing to invest in a syndication. I just spoke today with an investor who's actually in Germany. He's working with the U.S. Army in Germany. He invested in our last deal, first time he's ever done that. And he's been lurking on our list for a little while. And I highly encourage everyone watching this to lurk on our list for a little while. Uh, For example, there's a fantastic report that we put out that compares a stock market with real estate syndications. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. And it kind of introduces you into multifamily syndications. If you're ready to have a conversation about investing with us, then go right to nighthawkequity.com and just uh, fill out the form, click the join button and have a conversation with us. But I'm just really excited about it because, you know, with a series of investments over a short period of time, you can build cash flow, uh, build wealth and reduce your taxes as well. So I'm, I'm just really excited about that. And the platform, of course, is our way of reaching more people. But with no further ado, let's get into Brandon Turner here. And uh, we've had him on a show before. It was episode 221, where we talked about achieving big things with tiny action. And I love talking about tiny action. So definitely, if you haven't uh, listened to that episode, grab that right after this one. Here's episode 221. Now, Brandon also joined us at DealMaker Live last summer in Dallas, where he shared his message about key lessons on going big. And going big is relevant for him because he was kind of going small for long periods of time. In fact, we challenged him on this uh, on this interview a little bit and what happened where he kind of blew his mind out and started scaling up. And for those who know, he's the, the voice and face of Bigger Pockets. He's a real estate investor, podcaster, prolific author, entrepreneur, and speaker. Uh, he's the host of the popular Bigger Pockets podcast. He's also a managing member of Open Door Capital. And then he and Brian Murray just published uh, published an awesome book called The Multifamily Millionaire, which we talk about in this one as well. And he's done both big and small deals and champions the message that you don't have to start small in real estate investing, but you can if you must. Let's get right into the show with Brandon Turner. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the 
Brandon, welcome to the show today. Man, it is amazing to be here. Thank you for having me. This is gonna yeah, be it's fun. awesome. It's awesome. Look, I, you've done all kinds of real estate investing, and you probably spend a good amount of time, probably longer than you should, with smaller stuff, you know, smaller yes. multis. But I would say the last couple of years, you have just shifted into mobile home parks, large scale, and now multifamily. And I'm, I'm just wondering what precipitated that shift? Yeah. So up until we'll call it three and a half years ago. Yeah. I did all the small stuff like duplexes, triplexes. I'd flip a house a couple of times a year. Uh, very much what I like, just a small real estate investor, nothing wrong with that. And a lot of people, they spend their entire life in that kind of small space. But I just started feeling that the word I've been using lately is like not aligned. Like I, I wasn't aligned with where, what I could do. Right. And I, I went to a conference, I went to a real estate conference and I was on stage speaking and everyone there at this conference, like even the people in the audience were doing way more things than I was doing, like way bigger projects. And the only reason I got on stage there to teach these people anything is because I got a podcast and a big mouth. And so I realized that I, I didn't deserve to be there, but I wanted to deserve to be there. I wanted to be, you know, bigger than I could do. Like you just kind of like rest on your laurels sometimes. And I was like doing it for too long. So I went home from that event and I said, you know what? No, I'm I'm gonna do something bigger. I'm gonna I'm gonna launch myself a, a real estate syndication brand and buy a bunch of uh, multifamily. And that's what started it. It's so funny. So you were struggling with your own mindset at that point. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Because like when you're like, this is just a lesson in general, right? When you're in a room where you are the one doing the most amount of stuff, like when I, when I would hang around with all my, all my real estate friends, like they were doing one, two flips a year. And I felt pretty good about myself. When you compare yourself to people in a room where you're the smartest guy or the, the most successful guy, you feel pretty good. It was, it took me getting into a bigger room to really make that shift, uh, to really realize like I could, I could do more and more isn't necessarily harder. In fact, I found the exact opposite. It has been so much less work to scale than I ever imagined. I mean, I'm putting in way fewer hours today than I did back when I was trying to do one house a year. It's just, it's crazy. It was all, it was all mindset shift. Now your, your, your first foray into commercial was mobile home parks. Why did you decide to pick yeah. that asset class? I picked mobile home parks simply because I had this like fire about it. Like th there's no real reason. Like some people right now are super fired up about like cryptocurrency. Like they just love Bitcoin and they're reading everything about it and they're doing all this stuff with Bitcoin. I couldn't care less about Bitcoin. Like I just don't, it doesn't fire me up. I'm not saying it's not a good investment or it's not a good product or the technology is not amazing. I'm sure it is. It doesn't fire me up and therefore I don't pursue it. And for whatever weird reason, mobile home parks just fired me up. Uh, when I interviewed people on our podcast on mobile home parks, it fired me up. And so it's the the lesson I kind of I, I try to follow my life is like follow that fire. Like for whatever reason, something fires you up, lean into that because it's something in your soul is like that's a cool thing. And if it fires me up, maybe I'll stick with it long enough to make it successful. So it fired me up. Now there are logical reasons why I like mobile home parks. And I, you know, we can go into that all day long about the, you know, I think they're recession resistant and I like the opportunity for infill and like, you know, we're, you know, adding units to a property. I love all that, but in reality, it, it was more important that I decided something than what I decided. And so I just went with it. Interesting. Well, what fired you up yeah. about it? Because because to me, it's exactly yeah. opposite. It does the exact opposite for me. It does not fire yeah. me up at all. That's uh, funny, yeah. But but you're you're right about that. I mean, you, you're you know you, your heart's got to be in it to some degree. Uh, yeah. But but yeah. What, what at the time? And I, I know things always change. But at the time, what what kind yeah. of fired you up about it? A couple of things. One, I thought that we. I mean, I thought a recession was inevitable. Back you know three years ago, we were all like, it's time. The economy's got to drop at some point. And so I said, you know what? Where do I want to be in a recession? What type of real estate do I want to be involved in? And I thought that a lot of multifamily was overpriced, and that you know there's no way we could do more. Now, obviously, that's been proven wrong. Like we have continued to climb for the past three years. But I thought if a recession happens and if a real estate crash happens. 
which is fairly inevitable, then I would rather be at the bottom of the market than the top of the market because rents tend to compress rather than drop. Like that $3,000 a month rentals drop to 2,500. 2,500 might go to 2,100. But $300 rents is not dropping to negative 200. Like we're not going to start paying people to live in a mobile home park. It just, it doesn't drop that much because people on social security or whatever they're getting their fixed income they can still pay their $250 lot rent. Uh, so that's one of the things that fired me up. Also, I hate dealing with contractors. Biggest pet peeve in the world is like dealing with contractors. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And I thought, oh, I'll get into mobile home parks because then the tenant owns their own house. I don't have to deal with plumbing. And you know, they punch a hole in their door. They fix their own door because it's their house. Now that's proven completely wrong. <laughs> like We deal with contractors constantly because we're always uh, buying homes and then filling them into our parks. But I guess the the real truth there should have been, I should have changed my mindset about who's going to deal with contractors, not do I want to deal with contractors. So those two things really fired me up uh, and both have been actually proven to be incorrect uh, about about mobile home parks. Now, mobile home parks still produce cash flow like ATM machines. Our returns are phenomenal. Uh, it's very stabilized cash flow and they're fun. They're hard. Uh, and that's actually another thing I love about them is they're hard. Like they're incredible. It takes an average like 20 hours to underwrite one mobile home park where it maybe takes an hour to underwrite an apartment complex. Why? So an apartment complex, you go to look at it uh, and the, the broker sends you over this nicely, really well-prepared document that shows exactly what the rents are, what every unit rents for, the historical T12, all that. It's all like handed to you. And so you just got to plug it into your spreadsheet and you have a pretty good idea. With mobile home parks, you have no idea. Like the owners don't even know how many units they have sometimes. They're like, yeah, we have like 90, oh, maybe it's 100 or 105. I don't know. We don't keep really good records. And you're like, how do I piece this together? And so like, it's so much more research on the front end just to underwrite a deal. And that sounds, I mean, a lot of people are listening to this right now going, well, why would you do that then? Because nobody wants to do that. I love things that are tough and hard because everyone runs away from it. And so that's what we focused on. So that still fires me up today. I love the fact that it is incredibly difficult to underwrite and to buy a large one. And then nobody wants to lend on them. And so it's just like, it's hard in every result. Now we've done some multifamily and I'm just like blown away at how easy it is compared to mobile home parks. Like yeah, so it's, it's stupid. You were really attracted to the pain. I, I get it. I, I like I, the pain. I, yeah, I see I that. Yeah. I see that now. We're yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, at, at BPCon, I gave this, this speech this last year uh, where I talked about the word passion. It comes from the, a word like in Latin or whatever that means like suffering. Like the word passion means suffering. Like, what are you willing to suffer for? Uh, so if I say I'm passionate about my wife, like I might not always be in a good mood and want to like, you know, like hold her hand and walk down the street skipping, but I am passionate about suffering through anything that comes up with her, right? So mobile home parks are my passion. Like I will suffer through them. And because of that, we've been successful with it. We bought, I don't know, 3000 mobile home park pads over the past uh, two and a half, three years. So crazy. So Brandon, when you're, you're in the middle of suffering. Are you kind of thinking to yourself like, well, I know that there's something great is coming from this right yeah. now. I, mean, I just, I can't see it yet, but I'm in the middle of hell right now, but it's, it was, it's yeah. coming. Yeah. In the, in the beginning, especially it's very much like that. Cause at the beginning, I'm like, I sure hope this works. Like this is supposed to work. Right. Uh, my very first mobile home park I did without any raising money. I, well, I did, it was like a private money basically and some seller financing, but we bought it for like 1.1 million and I sold it a year later for 1.7. And I was like, Hey, this works. And then our first actual syndicate, like our first raise that we did, we went and raised, we did a fund. We bought three parks with it. Total value of 6.1 million. 
We just sold it for 13. And so like we more than doubled the value in less than two years. And so now I'm finally seeing the like, oh, yeah, it's not just theory. Like this actually works. I'm actually seeing the result of this. And like I walked with almost a million dollars in profit personally uh, from that first syndication. Now, after my investors got their 35% uh, IRR, like I still personally walked with almost a million, which is this is crazy. Uh, um, it's crazy. Now, was and, it hard? Yeah, my, yeah, crazy. And think about this like, people don't necessarily like you're in these deals and you're sitting in them for five years or whatever it is. And the investors, their true test of, of trust with you is that you're making consistent distributions. Yep. But I don't think they, until you do an exit yeah, and they really see, oh, this is what I made. It, it almost doesn't feel real to, to everybody involved to a degree, I would say. Yeah. It's a weird thing, you know, and then you finally exit and you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. That, I mean, that's part, that's really why we sold our first fund. Like we didn't have to, there was still a lot of meat on the bone. Like we bought the parks, they were maybe 70% occupied. We filled them up to maybe 85% occupied, which is a whole lot harder to do with a, with mobile homes than it is apartments. Right. But because again, it's a hard thing, but I like that. So we filled them up to like maybe 85, 88% occupied. And then we sold them. Now we could have gone to 95, 98 and 100% occupied. But that would have taken another few years. And I needed that exit. I needed to show my investors this, like it worked. Cause some people just need to see that, like the full cycle. So now we've gone full cycle. I at least have that. And I can say it's not just theory anymore. Well, and then of course you guys shifted pretty big into multifamily as well. In fact, you wrote a book with uh, with Brian Murray about about yeah. this called uh, the Multifamily Millionaire, which is uh, you guys launched in August on Amazon, which is super cool. Required reading yeah, by everyone so. watching, listening to this. Why the shift? And are you replacing mobile home parks uh, permanently, or what is what is your direction? Yeah, we've gotten into apartments mainly through JVs, like partnerships, because the one thing that we do really, really well is raise money. We're just like, it's my position on the Bigger Pockets podcast. My Instagram is at 250,000 followers. Like, we raised $100 million in the past year, year and a half off Instagram, which is just unbelievable, right? It just shows the shift in the world, like where social media has taken us, where like we can do that. Now we're not amazing at apartments yet. I don't actually believe we are the world's best apartment. I mean, you guys kill me on apartments on your knowledge and your depth of, of uh, like being able to manage the asset and find the deals. Now I believe we are the best at mobile home parks that, that I know, but we're not apartments. So instead we, we choose to JV with other apartment syndicators who are the best in their market, who are the best in their market, who have put in the time and the suffering and the passion and then we bring our money raising ability to it. At the same time, we're we're learning. We're, we want to get more into apartments again. Because like, I mean, here's the thing. Average mobile home park purchase for us is $4 million. If you were to average out of the last two years of buying 20 some parks, we're averaging about 4 to $5 million total a piece. Our apartments, we bought a 34 million, a 57 and a 71. So those three apartment deals we've now bought are worth more a little bit more than our entire collection of 20 mobile home parks. Yet the work involved was about a quarter of the work. So it's a no brainer. Yes, we want to get into multifamily, the larger stuff. I don't want to get away from mobile home parks, but there's also only 2000 mobile home parks in the country that we can buy, period. There's only 2000 parks that are large enough for me to go after. So how many are going to go for sale any given year? Maybe a couple hundred. How many are we going to land? Maybe a dozen. And so like, it's just such a small space. We just can't, we can't scale any more than about a hundred million a year in mobile home parks. So that's why we're going it, multifamily. A couple of things, interesting to think yeah. about that. Number one is, you know, we, we joint venture on multiple levels. Like we always say, well, joint venture yourself to get started. And that is true. 
but you're joint venturing along along the way. You're just joint venturing at a much higher level. But the reason we're joint venturing is always the same. There's something that we have that's a strength and something that we're lacking that's maybe a weakness. This is why four years ago, you know, we partnered, uh, I had a, a senior partner also, his strength was raising capital and he didn't have deal flow and I had massive deal flow, didn't have enough capital for all. So it was a great joint venture. And, and these things live for a, a, a season or two and then things shift as you're getting into, you're learning the multifamily space like you did mobile home parks. At one point, yep. you're going to operate yourself and you're going to stop joint venturing. You might, hey, I'm going to get into uh, ground up development. Well, I don't know anything yep. about that, but I'm going to partner. And you're going to do the same thing over and over. And I think that's a, a really valuable lesson in, in getting into a new business. Yeah, people, I think, are so, I don't say greedy is the wrong word, but they're so in such a hurry to achieve whatever success they want, they don't realize that it's a long game. So like, let's say you're brand new to real estate, right? I think you guys would agree to this. You're brand new to real estate and your very first deal, you have no money and you're like, well, I, I want to do a deal. Okay, well, go do a deal with somebody where you get 1% of the profit. I mean, you make no money, basically. Let's just say you make no money or you make 1% or 5% or 10%. Who cares? You get in the game. You learn how to flip that house or buy that duplex or whatever. And the next time, maybe you get 20%. And the next time, maybe you get 50 As you learn, as you grow, and as you develop your own rare and valuable skills that you now bring to the table, you're worth more to the partnership and you can, you can then bring more. So you know, if you're working two or three years and making almost no money, who cares on a 20-year career like it's just it's irrelevant. So we're doing the same principle when it comes to the larger deals. We'll we'll JV until we feel like we're strong enough. Now, I mean, we've I've done a million, well, not a million. I've done lots of small multi, like you know, ten unit, twenty unit, thirty unit that range. And Brian Murray's done a lot of the like fifty to hundred unit range where I don't feel like we're good enough at is how do you manage five hundred units? Like that's where we're we're building our our skill set right now because I want to go after those big hundred million dollar deals. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. I think the same thing as well as we keep ramping up and we're, we're talking about like, all right, we've, we've ticked it up literally from when we started, we were, I think our first deal we bought was 11 million and now we're up to 50 million. Yeah. Uh, and each level gets more exciting as, as we go up. And, and the cool part about it is that when you start to get up in, into the levels and the prices change, they're all kind of the same calculation, you know, it's yeah. how you put a manager in there, you put, some maintenance people in there. And then, uh, you know, it's running hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you make it what, work right. What's fun about the larger multifamily. We make this point, you know, the multifamily millionaire was really two books. We put out one that's on small deals and one on large deals. The problem with small deals, like duplexes, fourplexes, 20 unit properties is that you are competing with emotion. You are competing with emotion. You're competing with homeowners. You're competing with like real estate investors who don't know what they're doing. And so because of that, it's really hard to find deals today. I mean, people are outbidding by 20, 30% of whatever you can pay. That makes sense. People are losing money because it's all emotion. When you're in these bigger deals, like the $100 million deals and $50 million deals, you're competing with really smart math. And so you have a chance at actually landing. Not that you're going to land everyone, but if you can just find something that you can do a little better than the competition to get you just a little bit of an edge, just a slight edge, you can take down and you can win a $50 million, $100 million deal. Of course, you got to be able to you know, back it up and be able to raise the money and get the loans and all that. But th that's what's fun about multifamily, the large stuff, is you're not competing against a much, as much emotion as you are math. And it's, it's, it's a fun game to play. Hey, why Instagram, Brandon? Yeah. So I think Instagram is an amazing platform for getting people to know, like, and trust you. It's not a great platform anymore. Well, okay, I shouldn't say that. 
I was going to say, it's not a great platform for building your audience, I don't believe. Um, now, the one caveat on that is I think Instagram Reels, Reels is a great platform for building your audience. But Instagram is a way for people to like and trust you. I had an investor in one of my funds recently say to me, the reason he invested with me is because of how I talk about my wife. And like that is such a fundamental, I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back saying I'm a good husband. What I'm saying is that people are watching how you live and choosing to invest or not invest based on how you live. So how does somebody know how you live? Instagram. They see my stories. They see my the way I'm talking about my kids and my wife and my team and my family. And, and they're seeing me give back and my education. So Instagram is great for that. Now, TikTok is awesome for reaching tons of people. You can go viral on TikTok and reach thousands of people. Um, I don't even use TikTok hardly at all. I just kind of like throw random crap on there. And I already have like 60,000 followers. But those followers are rarely see my stuff. They're not regularly connecting with me. Now, Facebook's also good for deep in, like connection with people. Facebook and Instagram are both good. I just, I like Instagram. It's that feel the fire thing. So I feel the fire and I put a lot of effort in Instagram. You know, you're, you're not a great model to follow because not everyone can become the face of a, a platform with 2.4 million. So, but, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, hypothetically, you know, you're yeah. stripped of, you're stripped of everything. Yep. You know, uh, of your history with bigger pockets, yeah. you know, and you, uh, I don't know, I think John Lee Dumas asks asks this on his podcast, you, know, you get 500 bucks and what you know, but everything else is stripped from it. He doesn't talk like that, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? So how would you go about it if you were to start over again? Because you just said Instagram is not yep. a great way to build your audience. Well, in the big, in the beginning, yep. you do want to build your audience. And then of course you want to build trust. But if you were to do it over again and you have no name, but you do have a large beard, what would yes. you do? So choose your about the beard. The beard was a very intentional choice because I wanted to build a personal brand and I just looked like, you know, everyone else. And so I needed something that made me stand out. So that's a whole different branding lesson right there. Uh, so the beard was an intentional choice to stand out. But what I would do, I would use Instagram Reels and TikTok, those two platforms, as a method for reaching mass amounts of people. Now, now I'll, I'll say this carefully. In order to grow on Instagram Reels and on TikTok, it requires a certain personality, which I have, right? The fact that I can get up and talk and be excited. Now, most people aren't naturally good at that. I was terrible at it in the beginning as well. So you can get good at it if you're willing to put in the pain and the suffering and the passion to get good at it. Now, I would do Reels and TikTok, but every video, I would drive people back to follow me on Instagram. Uh, or my email list or whatever, but I, I would probably push them to Instagram. So I can go on TikTok, I can go get 100,000 people a week to watch a video. And at the end of it says, at the very end of the video, I say, I uh, want more real estate content, follow me on Instagram, Beardy Brandon. And then I would move on. And every video would say that because I'm going to use those channels for growth. I'm going to drive them to my Instagram where that's where connection is built. That's what I want is I want connection. I don't just want outreach. I want connection. I want real inter interaction, relationship. And then from Instagram, the more they see me, then I start funneling them into my email list. And that's the real goal is an email list. But it's just hard to get somebody from TikTok or Instagram Reels over to your email list. That's a tough sell. But getting them to follow you on Instagram, that's easy. And then from Instagram, once they like and trust you, then I get them on the email list. And at gotcha. that point, yeah, I got them. So the new formula is, is TikTok, Reels, Instagram, email list. That's what I think. I mean, some people might do a great job at Facebook or go, go into a Facebook group or go start a Facebook group. You could kill it on there. Uh, you could do it on LinkedIn. Brian Murray, my, my partner, Brian does everything on LinkedIn. He's like the LinkedIn guy. And like, I don't even get LinkedIn. I don't like it. I don't use it. I have one out of obligation because my team set it up for me. I hate it, but he kills it. He's, he puts out a post and gets 50,000 people to see it because it he's fired up by LinkedIn. I'm not.
So back to the passion and the suffering. You got to find yeah. something that you resonate with yes. for you as Instagram. But yep. there's also elements of of the platform that, that you're building that are really important. And you're using different things for different purposes. For example, using TikTok and Reels to reach people, but they're a poor way to build trust. You're bringing them to Instagram to build trust. Why are you bringing them to an email list? What's the purpose of doing that? Yeah, my I mean, my, my theory is when you, if you don't have their email address, you don't have them. Right. Like Instagram owns my followers. I don't own them. I can't take them off. I can't call, you know, call them. I can't email them. I can just put out a video and maybe Instagram in their benevolence wants to show my video to them. And maybe they don't. Right. But if I have an email list, now I can directly go after them anytime I want to. Now I don't, I'm not going to spam my audience, but emails, my list, you can't take it from me. I can literally print out a list right now of 10,000 accredited investors that I have on my list. And that's my physical piece of paper um, email addresses. And I can touch each one of them. Now we took it a step further because email is great. Email's got you know anywhere between 20 and 40, 50% open rates, right? But text messages are even better. So we mm. actually took it a step further. And now we have a, what I call a text letter. So every week I send out a newsletter that's via text. So you get a text every Wednesday afternoon from me. It's called the behind the beard text letter. And in that I say like, a book that I'm reading right now, some books, I, I read a new book every week, roughly, uh, sometimes multiple, a book I'm reading, what I'm learning from it, uh, something that I've learned in the past week or something I can teach, uh, something that I bought recently that I think is cool. And then I answer a real estate question, just like, here's how to do a duplex or here's why, how to do syndication. And I put that into a text message again, because now I've got, I don't know, I think I have 6,000 text message numbers on my list. If I have a deal that I need to get funded, roughly 40% of my text list has said they're accredited. We actually ask them if they're accredited or not. So 40% of 6,000 is what? For 2,500, something like that. So roughly 2,500 people, I can send a text message to right now and say, hey, I got a huge apartment deal just came in. We're raising $100 million for it. Who wants in? And that has a 95% open rate uh, or 98%, depending on who you ask. And that's a powerful thing. That is a that is a powerful thing, uh, and it is a great way. You got to be a little careful. You can't send you too many text messages. Yes, um, yep. and you have to be careful. But I think it's it's the mixing of the of the message because you don't get a hundred percent open rate on email. We've yep. also carefully uh, experimented with slide broadcast, which sends voice messages to people's That's phones. Cool. It actually doesn't actually ring their phone. Yep. Really powerful. And and if you here's the thing: it. if you if you don't do this, people complain because they don't see your email. Like, well, how mm-hmm. you didn't tell me about this deal? Well, it's in your yep. spam folder, and so you have to reach them in multiple different ways. Now, you talked about earlier about the personal brand. Let's talk about that for a second because the question becomes really, should the average syndicator, you know, or when should the average syndicator consider a personal brand and kind of what are some of the considerations maybe uh, instead of or in addition to the beard? Yeah, I would argue every single person has a personal brand right now. A personal brand is how other people feel when they see you or hear about you, right? So personal brand, that's my definition of it. A personal brand is how other people like feel when they see or hear you. Uh, so like Coca-Cola's brand is not their logo. Coca-Cola is their brand is how we feel when we think about Coca-Cola. I think of like, oh, a cool company. I think of like the Santa Claus and the bears. I think of like delicious drink. I like that's, that's what I think about when I think of their of Coca-Cola. So your brand is already existing right now. So to me, it's more important. Like, do you recognize that? And do you refine that and try to simplify it or try to point it in a certain direction? It doesn't have to be a physical thing. My beard was a very physical thing just because I chose, I mean, I thought it was cool looking and I thought it would help me stand out a little bit from every other tall, awkward white guy in the world. And so I chose to go that way. I know people who their brand is is more of like, just like being wicked smart. Like people are just like, oh yeah, that guy, 
He is wicked smart. And like Dave Meyer, uh, bigger pockets, he's like the data analyst. Dave Meyer doesn't have like a physical trait that makes him stand out. Like he's a, you know, just a good looking dude. But like his brand is that he is a data genius. He can go in depth on market data like nobody else in the world. He's even, he just changed his, his Instagram. It's called like the data deli or something like that. It's like he is leaning into that brand and because that's the thing he's good at. So you already have a brand. It's it's more of a matter of, I would recommend everybody should think long and hard about what is that brand? How are people thinking about you right now? And how can you develop that? And how can you lean into it? Find out what's working. How do What do people say about you? And then how can you lean into that? Simplicity is key there, I think. You don't want to be like, yeah, the more broad you are, the harder it is people are going to think of you as any kind of special. So you and Brian wrote this book, Multifamily Millions. Cool. It's got two volumes, you know, yeah. one blue, one dark blue. Yeah. And it, you kind of start with, a, you differentiate between small multis and large multis. Yeah. And there's some pros and cons of each. Can you talk about a little bit in, in your mind, kind of what is the, the pros and cons of small versus large? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the differentiation real quick, because a lot of people think of this a little different than I do. So a lot of the world thinks of small multi as one, two, or two, three, and four units, because that's how banks look at it. And five units and greater is large multi. But I don't, because I mean, I've bought five unit properties before, and I use pretty much the exact same approach as I did to buy a fourplex. There's really no difference there. But when I bought a 300 unit property, that is a very different game, right? Very different game like different types of banks, different types of raising money for that kind of thing, different LLC structure, different everything, right? So the difference is not in unit number. The difference is in approach. There's a small way to invest and a large way to invest. I give One of the clearest examples I would say is if you know your tenants' names, that's in your property, that's probably a small, you're approaching it in a small way. If you're managing yourself, small multi. If you're raising money and you're buying it in an LLC and you have a team, that's more of a large. So, I mean, pros and cons, the large stuff has a lot more risk to it, right? The large stuff has a lot more moving parts and you have to be good at business. To be good at buying duplexes, you don't really have to be good at business. You just got to be able to good at, you know, knowing how to buy a duplex and making sure your tenants are happy. Uh, so they're different skill sets. On the other hand, small multi might be easier and require a lot less cash and a lot less of a team and a lot less management, but you can only get so big. I mean, you're not going to buy a billion dollars of duplexes. No one's doing like you're just not. But you could buy a billion dollars of real estate in a fairly short amount of time if you're doing the large deals. The question for you, having done a little bit of everything at this point, yeah. you have the benefit of hindsight, right? You know, should someone approach the multifamily game with a more of a big thinking or little thinking and kind of leg into it? In other words, can you skip the little thinking and yeah. get right into the big thinking? And is that beneficial or or what do you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, generally, I say I think you should go through the small stuff to get to the big because, and I'll, there's a caveat, I'll get to that in a second, but generally, I think you should start small and, and scale up. I think you're going to learn a lot of lessons on the duplex, fourplex, 10 unit that's going to benefit you on the 50 unit, 100 unit, 200 unit. That said, the exception to that is if you can harness somebody else's mistakes and learn from them. So, for example, if you partner with somebody or you hire somebody to coach and train you, like you guys have like your coaching program. If you go through that, then you get to learn from your coach's experience and all of their failures. And that is a way to bypass it. Now, does that cost money? Yes. Pick your pain. You, you pick your pain. You can either go through the pain on your own, or you could hire someone else or partner with someone, but that's, and you're giving away a lot of your equity. You might be giving away half or more of your company to go large. So yeah, pick your pain. 
what's kind of your advice for people that get started? And because there's, I mean, two different paths. You can go yeah. the duplex route or you can yeah. think the bigger thing. And I've seen it both ways. Honestly, at the end of the day, they all lead to the same result, which is financial freedom. Yeah. One might take a little longer than the other one. On the other hand, those people who take a little longer, they build up a portfolio of stuff that they end up owning themselves. And it typically does take longer, but they own their portfolio themselves. They too yeah. get the financial freedom. And then you get people who have three partners, you know, and they get the 500 units in 18 months and they're just approaching it with a big thinking. And what is your perspective on how should someone get started in, to get into the game besides reading your book? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of it goes back to the same advice I gave earlier, which is follow your fire, right? If you've got a fire, if you're fired up about buying an apartment complex, then answer that question. How do I buy an apartment, like a large apartment complex? But if you're like fired up by the idea of buying a fourplex in your local town and maybe living in one of the units and renting it out and like, in like scrappy entrepreneurship style, if that fires you up then do that and start with that thing. Uh, so really it's like, what do, what do you want? Now, at the same time, I'll tell you a quick story. I interviewed a guy once on my podcast who flipped 100 houses his first year. Very first year flipping houses, flipped a hundred houses. I was like struggling doing one or two a year. And I asked him, how did you flip a hundred houses? And he said, well, all my friends flipped hundreds of houses a year. So I didn't know that's not normal. I didn't know that wasn't how it's supposed to be done. And I love that, like that lesson of like, like it's, it's all a mindset game. If you approach it, like, oh yeah, I just do big deals. And all your friends are doing, the people you surround yourself with, their mindset is going to rub off on you. So if you're surrounded by people who are doing small multifamily deals, you probably should just do the multifamily deals because that's that's where you're you're going to be comfortable. But if you can get into a group of people who are doing bigger deals, whether you have to pay for it or whether you have to just make those friends somehow and and, and or whatever you got to do to get into those groups, then the natural thing you're going to do is the bigger deals. So I guess the advice I have is get around people who are doing what you want to do and have the mindset you want to have. So Brandon, is there any part of you now that wishes you got into multifamily sooner? I asked the hard mm -hmm. question. Big multifamily. That's, yeah, not, the big stuff. Yeah. Big multifamily. Yeah. You know, if the goal of life, if the goal of my life was to get as rich as possible, then yes, right? So the, the goal of the game should determine how you play the game. So had I pulled like a, a Michael Blanc or a Joe Fairless and gotten in earlier and understood the power of a platform, so this is what I didn't get. I didn't understand the power of a platform and the power that I had until just the last couple of years. I, didn't, I just didn't get it. Joe Fairless capitalized on it. You guys are doing a great job at it. Grant Cardone is killing it yeah. in having a platform and then using that to leverage into real estate. It's the ultimate leverage, right? I didn't get that. So had I done that earlier, I'd be a whole lot richer today. But that said, like, I really like the small stuff. I have a lot of fun there. And I think I can teach people how to do the small stuff better than a lot of educators out there because I was in it for so long. Into a, I mean, I'm closing on a single condo next week. Like I'm still in the small stuff. Uh, I'm buying a condo out here in Maui. So because of that, I think if the goal of my life is to actually transform as many lives as possible, which is one of my goals in life, then I think I did a good approach at it. I think, I think being in the small stuff long enough actually helped the world more than had I jumped into the bigger deals, if that makes sense. Brandon, you're not hard to find, but how do you want people to connect with you? Uh, TikTok, no, you know, Instagram, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let me uh, install Instagram. that app. I don't, I don't, yeah. <laughs> do not install TikTok. It is, the, it is the greatest time suck of our generation. It's so bad. It's terrible, but uh, it's addicting. And that's why it's good to be on there. But uh, Beardy Brandon on Instagram, beard with a Y, Beardy Brandon. 
Brady Brand, love it. And the book is called The Multifamily Millionaire. It's on Amazon. There's two volumes, volume one and two. Yeah. Just read volume two. Okay. Just skip, <laughs> skip, skip volume one. You one. don't need to, yeah. If you don't yeah, want to buy a duplex, don't buy one. Yeah. Yeah. Just one. get right into the big stuff. Outstanding books, required reading. It really complements the space of, of really good resources out there. And this is one of them. So I appreciate you putting this out here. Thanks so much Thanks, for being man. on the show today, Brandon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. So we talked about the importance of building a platform. And if you're intrigued by that, uh, we do have resources for you at platformbuilders.com. Go to platformbuilders.com. There's a free recording of a, of a training we did that talks about the elements of a platform and the right way to build a platform in the right way in the right order. Uh, so you don't mess this up. And it's something that you can start off if you're thinking scale right now in your syndication business. If you're thinking scale right now, you need to consider a platform. So check it out. That might be very useful for everyone listening to this as well. And uh, grab his book, The Multifamily Millionaire. It's on Amazon. It was released in August. So check that out if you haven't read it yet. Uh, there's two volumes. Uh, again, like I said, just forget volume one on the little stuff and go right into the big one, which talks about raising capital. And that's really awesome with uh, Brandon Turner and Brian Murray there as well. Garrett, I love the discussion around passion equals suffering. So interesting to combine the two. Yeah. And I think about this in different contexts quite a bit where you're going through something so hard and you're like, it's almost like you're polishing a lump of coal into a diamond in, in over and over again. And, you know, this happens all the time in entrepreneurship and in general, but starting to almost get accustomed to that. And like, you know what, I'm passionate about this. That passion is going to allow us to get through those really hard circumstances, which, which always end up coming up, but hearing it framed that way, I thought was really interesting. And, you know, I think the other part to that is having you know, I like how he he kind of put that into context around small multifamily and large multifamily and taking the emotion out of the small multifamily. The small multifamily is all emotion. And then the large, you take it all out and you just focus on the numbers. Yeah. Interesting. If, you, if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to put up with the suffering. And, and sometimes to build something, you do have to put up with a certain degree of suffering, especially in, in the early stages when you have maybe haven't done your first deal yet you know, it can get a little tedious. It might take a little longer than you think. And if you're not passionate about something, and here's the thing, you don't have to be necessarily passionate about real estate. You do have to be passionate about financial freedom. And this is why you have to develop in your mind what that means to you and become passionate around that. Real estate simply becomes a, a vehicle. Now, you shouldn't probably hate real estate as an asset class. That would awful. Like for me, that's why I couldn't do mobile home parks. I could not use it as a vehicle for achieving the same goal. You know, bless his heart. I just, I just couldn't uh, do it. But I, man, I, I love the question around what would he do to start over? I, I'm going to have to take that under advisement, you know, the Instagram reels and TikTok. Man, I'm going to see Garrett dancing. I think that's what, that's what we need next. <laughs> Yeah, you know, actually, I was just thinking about launching that dancing channel for TikTok, the dancing real estate guy. The, the, the dancing uh, Nighthawk, the, the, the dancing <laughs> Nighthawk featuring Garrett Lynch. I think it's a great idea. You guys, let us, let us know in the comments if you think we should have Garrett Lynch do some dancing on TikTok. Dressed as, know an, in the as a Nighthawk, that, if, that, that would be if, perfect. If we get to like 100 votes, you're doing it. So everybody put in put in your vote 100. for- 100. At least so 100. I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. He sets, really, he sets the bar so low. It's always good hanging out with Beardy Brandon and with you, Garrett. Appreciate you guys uh, watching, listening to this. And I hope you guys uh, use some inspiration for whatever you hear or see on our podcast. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening. 
Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.